Welcome to the True Wealth Project podcast. The True Wealth Project podcast is all about how to give your wealth a meaning. Join us as we are exploring the areas of financial wealth, impact or purpose, and succession or legacy. My name is Sasha Janssen, and I'm your host for today's show. Today, I want to welcome Chris Delaney. Chris is author and professional speaker. Prior to his career transition, which he went through in 2018, he spent 15 years as a senior business advisor and advisor to ultra-high net worth individuals for Canada's two top bank-owned wealth management firms. Prior to that, he was active as estate planning lawyer, finance professor, and family enterprise advisor. Today, he speaks to audiences about purposeful estate planning and building communication and governance strength in business families. Hello, Chris. Welcome to the True Wealth Project podcast. Thank you, Sasha. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, Chris, I introduced you as, as the author and speaker that you are today, but uh, from the introduction, it's, it's quite apparent that you've done a lot of things and you've seen a lot too, and uh, yet you uh, re re repeatedly decided to make some drastic directional changes as, as part of your career. Um, maybe it'd be a good idea if you explained a little bit what motivated to take uh, motivated you to take the different steps in your life uh it's interesting you would ask that question so the different steps have usually come along i think as a result of what i've been experiencing while i've been doing the work so i started out uh, my background is a legal background so i'm a uh, and still am a, a canadian lawyer so i'm a member of the law society of ontario and have been since 1991 i started out doing a lot of uh Uh, litigation and I found I wasn't enjoying that uh, mm -hmm. and uh, you know there's a certain level of certain type of passion you have to have to do that and I, I what I was finding I was really enjoying was sitting down with clients uh, and doing the estate planning conversation with them or or uh, even just some corporate planning um, because I felt that that was where you were meeting people where they were each day that was the happy spot that was the opportunity to actually affect future change rather than responding to something that had gone wrong, yeah. um, which was where I felt my own strength was. So I used that, um, uh, did, did some teaching. I've got a teaching background. Uh, felt that what I was really doing when I was working with uh, clients was I was taking large concepts for them, um, you know, a bis family business transition or a significant estate transition and breaking it down into chunks for them so that uh, they could understand what it was that was happening. So it really was a teaching role. Uh, so I did that and then uh, ended up in the wealth management services here in Canada, uh, probably I was uh, early in, so you know maybe it might be safe to say over the last 17 to 18 years, all of the major bank-owned uh, uh, brokerages, um, uh, probably starting with RBC Dominion Securities and then and then TD and Scotia moved into the space. Um, all of them have wealth management services teams that support the investment advisor teams, and we're there really as a I hesitate to call it a value-added uh, value uh, service, but we're really there as lawyers, accountants, financial planners, insurance professionals, trust professionals, to help their clients mm -hmm. um, view their, their wealth planning in a broader, more holistic manner uh, without the, the, what would you say, the constraint of having a clock ticking in the background. Uh, so we were able to spend 
a goodly amount of time with them talking about their their uh, their, their issues and their concerns and then we would frame up a report and send that off to their, their whoever the appropriate planner was often the lawyer in the role that, that I was in and as I was doing that I was beginning to see that what was happening was a lot of clients were coming in very um very passive, I guess, in in the uh, the role that they wanted to play in their own planning. They really were relying entirely on the advisors, and of course, advisors work from their position of their strength. They're very passionate about their strengths, and their strengths yes. are often technical strengths, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so they struggle. You know, if there's a if there's an issue that's really a family dynamic issue or or a, a, an emotional issue of some sort, they struggled with that. So I started to try to develop some skills that would allow me to help the advisors be better at that, be able to spot when that was the issue that was going on as opposed to a technical issue. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I felt that there was a gap there in the service provision. So I did some training. Yeah. So you basically focused on the, on the family level of things rather than the technical transfer of assets or management yeah, of assets there was no issue with the technical competence of the advisors they were you know they're the, at that level of client they know what they're doing um the issue was they were often bolting a uh, bolting a tactical response onto a sort of strategic maelstrom uh and and it often didn't work it worked when it worked but it often didn't work so we were often meeting clients who um you know you'd get them to explain what it was that was going to happen with their transition plan. And they couldn't tell you because they really didn't know. They just knew they had done this, this structure or this structure. And they really couldn't tell you. And when you dug down deeper and asked them why they did it, they actually had no good responses for that. So what I tried to start to do was, um, and I felt that I was successful at this, if I was able to make a client an advocate for their own plan. If I could get them coming out of the meetings that they had with me, where they actually said, I want this, here's why I want it. Um, there might be 10 ways to do this, but this is what I want. Here's why I want it. And this is why it's important. So any planning that you do has to uh, respect those sort of guidelines. And those are the, those are going to be the planning, uh, uh, the, the, the planning boundaries that we're going to work with them. Mm -hmm. And I, then I started to think, well, is there a way to, you know, this is not something that everybody's seeing. Um, so is there a way to put together a, a kind of a process that isn't necessarily prescriptive, but is something that they could work with, that their advisor could work with? And that led me to the book. Uh, so I wrote a book. Uh, it's called The, the Naked Opus, uh, Growing Your Family Wealth for the Long Term. Um, and it, it came out last, uh, this time last year, actually. And it was intended um, to provide a, a fairly simple, maybe 20,000 foot level process that advisors or families and business families with some wealth could follow mm -hmm. um, in order to be successful in understanding what their why was, et cetera. And the premise of the book is that uh, what I built it around was that a lot of, and you've probably seen this, a lot of family wealth doesn't make it to the third generation. There's a, yeah. There's a, uh, saying shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. So I took that as sort of the nugget to write around. But at the end of the day, what's really happening is I'm trying to get clients to think about what's important to them and be the advocates for their own planning. 
Don't go in and just say, what's a, what is someone similar to me doing? Go in and say, this is what I want. And if it happens to be that the planning that somebody else does is similar, wonderful. But, but here's what I want out of this. And that requires enhanced communication, enhanced governance, but also a commitment to that at the family level. So that's kind of what happened each, you know, in your career as you, uh, and I'd like to think as I get older, you know, you, gain some wisdom anyways. And, and, uh, yeah. and uh, the idea, I was starting to see what I thought were gaps, primarily in what clients thought was possible for themselves. And, uh-huh. and uh, that changes their relationship with their advisor a little bit. And honestly, I think it makes it better. Uh, because I think the client, the, the advisors, you know, I, I'm a lawyer, and, and I got it's a helping profession. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, they want to help people. And, and um, I think sometimes they get caught up in hourly billing commitments and, and money constraints and yeah. business. Uh, and this is a way, or, or this is what I was trying to do was say, okay, well, that's a reality. You know, it's going to be hard. I can't change that. But what I can change is how the clients come to their advisor. Mm-hmm. You know, do they come to their advisor ready to go, ready to say what they want out of this and, and, uh, and, and really can add value to the conversation. Yeah. That's an interesting, interesting point because one thing that really puzzled me when I read through your uh, bio basically was that you, you sort of, I mean, you're saying you're still a lawyer, but you effectively, you walked away from, from the yeah. legal profession in a way. And that is something that, that people don't really tend to do once they establish in the profession, right? So th- was there something that, that sparked that decision or was it just like a natural process as you, as you described earlier? Oh, uh, well, nothing negative. Um, it was, uh, and I'm still, you know, I still, I haven't practiced probably 20 years. So as mm-hmm. a, you know, as what you would think of as a traditional practice. It's been more of a consulting role. Um, was there something that made me? No, I mean, I think just to re- recap what I've said, I think it was an evolution about who I was yeah. and what I like to do and where I saw opportunity for what I like to do in the space that I, that I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I, I think that uh, I, I've been very fortunate uh, career-wise. Um, you know, I kind of hit... Mm-hmm. I kind of hit the, 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 the roles that I had with the banks, the Canadian banks here, uh, 25 years ago didn't exist. And it was really the, the wealth that was being accumulated through the boomer demographic that made the Canadian banks, anyways, it's happening in the U.S. as well, in Europe, I'm sure. Uh, they're, they're looking at clients that have a lot more financial resources to plan with. And, you know, it's very different from what you saw in the 1950s, I, I presume, uh, and, and through the 1960s, where it was a little bit more of a, uh, you know, a retirement. Uh, mm-hmm. That was really the role of the financial advisor was to help make sure people had enough to get them to the, the end of the finish line, right, from a retirement perspective. But now it's about wealth management. And and so it was it was just a sense that that having come from a helping profession being really trained to see where conflict was going to going to occur mm-hmm. um allowed me to think uh, think about managing that conflict earlier if yeah. possible to yeah. try and help the clients because i just felt there was a gap in the in the whole process there yeah. and a lot of that conflict comes from clients uh and this is probably true everywhere. You know, they, they assume that a lawyer, for example, knows how to, that, well, here's a even a simpler 
concept. They assume the lawyers actually might know anything about managing wealth, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But they don't <laughs> teach that in law school. And, and you might learn it uh, in, in your practice. You really would have to be quite purposeful about accessing that. You might learn that. Um, I learned it in the financial services industry. Uh, mm-hmm. And then that was where I was able to kind of put the two together and come up with a slightly different narrative for the conversations I would have with the clients. So, um, you know, there were a series of clients that I had that uh, in the in the book, uh, I actually described probably the central epiphanous event that I had was with a, a, an elderly woman, a very um, entrepreneurial family. Uh, she was sitting on a substantial amount of wealth by Canadian standards. Uh, her fifth, uh, her five children in the second generation, all very successful in their own right. One from a financial standpoint, four or five times more successful than she was. She was in her 80s. She had about 12, I think it was about 12 or 13 grandchildren. And her concern was that her children were going, her grandchildren, I should say, were going to be um, destroyed as individuals uh, mm. by tremendous amount of wealth that they were going to get from her and then from her her children, their parents. And um, what I realized there was that I had no answer for that. I had no, uh, you know, I could say, yeah, use a trust or I could say, yeah, let's set up a holding corporation in a a multi-level share structure. But I had no answer for the real root of the question. And when I gave her the solutions, the technical solutions, she was she was funny. She 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 basically pushed it back and politely indicated that this was not at all what she wanted. And and, uh, mm-hmm. and and that was when I realized I didn't have an answer. And I realized that if I didn't have that answer and was attuned to already sort of attuned to that, that yeah. I probably wasn't alone. And that yeah. it was time to start thinking about where I could cultivate uh, uh, cultivate that that information. So that that set me off on a journey. Actually, I started attending different non-technical conferences, uh, conferences that were, um, and the U.S. is quite quite far ahead of Canada at the professional level with this. I uh, started attending conferences down there on holistic wealth planning, mm-hmm. uh, and that sort of led me to, to where I am today. So was there a singular event? Um, I mean, I can always point to that interaction with that client. Um, but I think it was more of a transformation as I went yeah. along. And I've noticed a lot of the advisors that I've worked with are moving along this path too. They, they know intrinsically that they're good at what they do, but they also know intrinsically that there's more that they could do and that they yeah. could really help clients, but they can't quite figure out how to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. So I set out to try and, and, and that's really what my presentations are often about is, is yeah. helping them understand that it's this is a good thing you know they've identified uh something that 10 years ago they would have totally missed and it's their own maturity it's the evolution of their own business model and their own selves that has brought them to the point where they want to make these changes for their clients um it's a it's a happy coincidence (laughs) yeah yeah okay um just so chris so that we know who we're actually talking to could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your personal background i mean do you have family do you where, where are you in your personal life basically um well that's a, how would i describe that um so uh we we are almost empty nesters uh two daughters both off to university now mm-hmm. and um so you know for me personally that's a that's a uh a transition point, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, uh, uh, a pivot point in your, in your life. So, yeah. um, um, 
And I'm doing exclusively now writing and, and speaking based on the, uh, on the writing. I do, I do teach as well. So I'm a, a finance professor and I teach estate planning and risk management. And I also teach uh, uh, investment uh, management. Um, our education system here at the secondary level um, doesn't provide a lot of money management experience for students. Um, and uh, so in the program that I'm teaching in, they're getting it for the first time. And, you know, understanding what an RRSP is or, or you know, what sort of a registered uh, pension fund is that they can self-direct here is very new to them. And uh, understanding even wealth and, and being prepared to have those conversations is, is very new to these 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds. Yeah. So I do that as well. Okay. But um, it's about 50-50. I do a lot of writing and a lot of speaking and, and the uh, work that I do with the writing and the speaking is primarily to families of wealth and business families uh, mm -hmm. uh, as well. I do a, I have a family enterprise advisor designation. Uh, I added that four, five years ago, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, I work with a lot of business families who want to make the transition from uh, the, the parent generation to the next generation. So that's often tricky. That's uh, filled with a lot of moving parts, a lot of dynamics. And uh, so I, I do a, a fair bit of that now too. But that's sort of a reflection of the transitions in our own family, right? Yeah, where yeah. We're, we're moving through those stages. Yeah. As, I, as I find there's often the case that there's some, that's why, why I asked the question, because there's often a personal motivational reason why certain things are happening then professionally, which is true for myself too. Well, you know, and you'll see the background uh, in the background here. I, I don't know how that's working on my uh, Zoom. I, I obviously done that setting on a previous uh, uh, a previous uh, uh, webcast, but um, I've got a picture of Hawaii there. My goal, I, I set a goal, and this is uh, and, and my wife's uh, work uh, uh, helps. We should be able to do this. Um, winters here i'm in southern ontario not far from toronto and um it's terrible like uh winter starts <laughs> in uh, october and this year it left in june yeah we're not a skiing family uh my wife runs a dancing studio so for children so um uh, I would like to spend two months a year in the Hawaiian Islands writing and, and uh, yeah. you know, doing these kinds of things. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it, it, and, and I don't think, you know, so I'm in my mid-50s now. I don't think I'm a lot different than other people in similar situations. They're, they're getting to that point in their life where they're starting to reflect on what they've done, what yeah. they can do, and mm -hmm. what their priorities are. And, yeah, exactly, exactly. And that was that's been a lot of fun. I enjoy that when I meet with clients, when I have conversations with them at events. Uh, that's one of the, the 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 most entertaining and most fulfilling things is they they realize that yeah, they're actually there is a gap there. The, the the system, the processes that are in place are really to deal with their money. It's not mm -hmm. really to deal with their emotions and where they are intellectually and emotionally in their lives. Um, but they want to deal with that. And I also think, and maybe you've had some experience with that. I think that's... Um, uh, so when I was working in the one financial institution in the uh, just before the meltdown in 2009... Um, the average age of the client I was working with was 64, 65 at the time. So they'd be in their, they'd be in their mid to late seventies now. And I, I'm noticing, so they were my parents, really the people that mm -hmm. I was meeting a little younger, but they were my parents basically very different attitude towards money. 
a very different attitude towards what the purpose of the wealth was. Uh, and in the planning, I was noticing gaps there as well. You know, there was they. So you read a will plan here in Canada anyways from 25 years ago and nobody had any money, right? And they're really just thinking, well, if there's anything left over and I've got four kids, divide by four, make it technically, you know, tax efficient, quick, yeah. as easy as possible. Yeah. These, that generation, my parents' generation, so boomers, they are very early, early, early boomers. Mm-hmm. Um, they were starting to think about what can we actually do? achieve with this wealth and our their kids so the kids i deal with now as millennials they're driven by much different metrics and and uh and and uh priorities than even we were um so and that has to change that that uh, sorry the the planning has to respond to that uh because those are significant changes yeah that's that's interesting where do you see the main differences between the millennials and, and and their parent generation The parent generation, um, so they would have been, they'd be in their mid seventies now and up. So say into their mid mid eighties, maybe maybe ninety. They um, they really they watched their parents go through the depression, and uh, they watched their parents go through the war, and, and I think they have a real scarcity mindset. I think mm-hmm. they they don't view the family wealth as something that can be invested in and grown. They instead look at it as something that needs to be preserved and mm-hmm. protected. And, and the reality is you can do both. You, you can do both. Um, but there's, they have much more, um, uh, I think they have less trust that the, the money can do good if they invest in the money. I think they have sort of a negative, I, I noticed over the years, they don't know how to enjoy the wealth. So yeah. I have met over the years yeah. people with, you know, a, a Canadian retiree in their early 70s with three or four million Canadian dollars. They're, they'll be okay. They should be just fine in their yeah. retirement. But they would be very fearful, very yeah. fearful. And, and that was that, that sort of family trauma that they experienced of depression or the war. Uh, and, um, they, they learned that and their family never really learned how to communicate. Like there's, there's several things. I'm sure it's the same for you. Um, there are several things that in polite company, you don't just, you don't discuss at the Thanksgiving dinner table, politics, religion, and money. And, and in Canada, we're very small C conservative. Um, we don't talk about those things, Mm -hmm. right? So whatever they've learned, they've learned, through observation and experience and those observations and experiences get passed on. So the, so that was their, that generation's view, my own. So I'm in my mid fifties, my generation's view and really on, I'm the last official year of boomers. Um, That generation going forward, I think they have a much different, they look at the social purpose they can achieve with, with the wealth. Uh, I think they tend to view it as uh, an opportunity not to grow necessarily legacy, but an opportunity to really make the world better. So they, they're looking outside the family sometimes. With the mm-hmm. Well, uh, it, it has multiple rings of potential for them. So, yeah. and they also have, I should go back to a mindset. They have a growth mindset with that as well. They're prepared to, um, there's, there's some thinkers in this space, uh, the space that, that I like to find myself in that say that, uh, and, and I, and I agree. It's been my experience as well, that, uh, financial resources, uh, really exist 
to invest in the other sources of family capital. So every family is going to have some intellectual capital, some social capital, and then the the capital of individuals, the human capital of each individual that's in the family. And um, the financial capital really exists to to invest in those sources of capital. Because once the money's gone, all that's left over are those other sources of capital. Would you say that's a more, more holistic view nowadays and and absolutely generation specific and that's a differentiator between those generations as well and 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 the 75 year olds will look at you and screw their face up like you're from another planet when you say that but when they really think about it when they start to think about it um you know Mm -hmm. i i often will ask the, the the people you know why did you accumulate all this wealth what was the purpose of it when when you did it and and if you ask why five times in any of these situations you end up you always end up with the ones they love or the things they care about the most. So whether it's a philanthropic endeavor or mm-hmm. a great circle of friends or, or uh, you know, their children and grandchildren. Grandchildren are the, you know, uh, I used to joke in meetings when I would have them with uh, clients that grandchildren and, and their, their, their grandparents are natural allies because they have a common enemy <laughs> between, <laughs> intergenerationally speaking. Uh, yeah. But nothing lights up a conversation with a grandparent more than talking about their grandchildren. And, yeah. and, and that I, I, you know, I noticed that over the years, I'm obviously not a grandparent yet, but I noticed that over the years and I thought that's gotta be something like I light up with my kids too, but there's something about grandchildren and, and, you know, it's, of course, this is just True, anecdotal yeah. on my experience, but I think there was, there's something else there and it was that potential and it was that sense of legacy and it was that, um, I think that's often where the pride really, really came through. Um, mm-hmm. And that was an opportunity. That's an opportunity to plan. And, and I used to <clears> say <throat> to them, you know, what, how did that happen? And get them to tell me their story. You know, how is it your grandchildren are the light of your life? And, and um, they'd start explaining it and then you they would start to hear themselves and, and they would realize it really wasn't the money uh the, the money allows them to have experiences and avoid nasty uh you know uh, uncomfortable times or minimize uncomfortable times um it was the people uh, and it was the human capital that they were really the most proud of and you know there's always exceptions that startle you and go okay i gotta deal with this one a little differently but but i would say 90 percent of the time it was the other way around yeah. so yeah. What what is what what means the term true wealth for you personally? So I look at um and, and you can measure this any any number of ways, but um I mean I think we we we're here we're not here for long and, and so we have to figure out what it is we're gonna do while we're here. And for most people I think it's finding happiness. Uh and and so when I have worked with clients and when I've had conversations with clients about this in the context of this space, I'm really trying to help them understand what makes them happy and, mm-hmm. and what they think is going to make uh, their, the next generation uh, happy. So, and I know that sounds sort of uh, ethereal in a way, but, but pursuing happiness um, really, I think is, 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 is what we're after and as individuals, whatever that looks like. And we often don't understand what it is that makes us happy, what, what it is that truly makes us happy. That's why I was describing, you know, grandchildren, Yeah, just that relationship makes grandparents happy. Um, so I think the true sources of family wealth um, 
they don't exclude anything, but they also include, in addition to the financial resources, they also include the social capital of the family. So, you know, what it means to be in the Smith family, um, there's there's meaning to that. Mm -hmm. And understanding that shared meaning. And this is where enhanced communication and governance between the, particularly at the family level, is so critical because what a second generation understands meaning the meaning around being a member of the Smith family to be is very different from what the third generation and certainly what the first generation. So you've got your creators of wealth, you've got your stewards of wealth, and then ultimately you have the consumers of, uh, of that wealth. And they're often referred to as the wastrels, you know, they're, they're the ones who, who destroy it. Um, it's not always the case, but that's what makes, uh, you know, uh, 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 shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves works as a paradigm work as a paradigm. Yeah. Um, what we're trying to do, what I try to do is make uh, uh, the listeners appreciate or the readers appreciate that every generation has the capacity to be the entrepreneurial generation and has the capacity to be the stewarding generation. And that you have to invest in that, in them. So that's the human capital and the intellectual capital that exists in that. It, it, those are components of that. So I look at, you know, I always use the acronym FISH. It makes it easy to remember. Uh, so you've got the true sources of family capital at least include financial capital, which is your F, the intellectual capital is what the family knows. Um, so, you know, here in Canada, anyways, um, the success rate on business formation is uh, successful business formation is is actually shockingly low. Most businesses. Yeah, I, I think that's true across the world. Yeah, absolutely. And yet people keep doing it. And that's yeah. uh, and that's, you know, there's a skill to that. Businesses that last know something. They, they, yeah. There's a, you know, sometimes there's a happy coincidence uh, of events, but they know something. Um, yeah, I've met a lot of successful real estate uh, moguls uh, here, and they know something about what it takes to interpret interest rate movements, market movements, and that knowledge is transferable. That's a source of capital, and that's something they can, but they have to be, um, they have to be intentional. There has to be. They have to treat it like it's a university course, and 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 understand that that requires curriculum and a pedagogy. And how are we going to deliver this to the next generation so they actually learn it, and then bring what they'll bring to it as well. Um, then you've got your social capital, and uh, we, we talked about that. And then in, in any given family um, or any given sort of dynamic structure, there's going to be different human capital as well. So not everybody comes to the particularly with intergenerational enterprise wealth transfer they don't come to the to the table with the exact same skill sets interests and and nor do they with their partners and things like that bring the same dynamics in but they always bring something and understanding what everybody brings helps uh particularly a family that wants to preserve their wealth across generations the opportunity to maximize what exists in the family and invest in that and make it grow so i really look at there's others. Some people will use uh, sort of philosophical capital. So if they're a religious family, they may, you know, they may have a, uh, a belief system, a faith system that brings a level of capital in. I stick with the fish uh, uh, because uh, you know the, the other the other possibilities. I, I would never argue with it as far as a source of. As a source it, it just of just to recap, fish stands for. 
So I, it's an acronym for financial capital, yeah. intellectual capital, intellectual. social capital, and human capital. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Makes it easy for an old guy like me to remember when I'm yeah. <laughs> doing a presentation. <laughs> um, and, you know, and it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's easy to, for someone listening in the audience yeah. to look at that and go, I understand that. And I can go home and explain that to uh, my own children or, or my grandchildren and, and, um, and, and have them respond. And, and, and if they want to expand that definition, of course, you know, that's, uh, I've read some, uh, uh, some uh, consultants material where they've had 10 or 12 levels of mm. sort of human capital inside a, inside a family. Sure. I mean, yeah. but I think at the end of the day, you do have to set some priorities. And yeah. if you just focus on the first four. Now, if I can, just for a second, the reason, you know, I always, the, the F there at the beginning is is on purpose. Other people use this too. A, it makes it easy to remember. But the F is important because that's actually, you know, when you talk about estate planning, when I do presentations, I'll, I'll get people to put their hands up and, and there'll be accountants, lawyers, you know, lots of professionals in the room, lots of people that deal with wealth management. And in addition to their clients, and I'll say, what do you think of when you think of estate planning? They always start with their money. And, yes. and, uh, and, and what happens is you start to take them through the presentation is they begin to realize, and this is where I know I'm being successful, getting them to think about it differently. They start to realize that they spend more time planning for the financial assets than they do for the intellectual, the social, or the, the human part of the it's, it's, it's actually a very interesting phenomenon because I think I, I entirely agree. You know, it's, it's often, or actually most of the time, the, the focus is very much on the financials, but that's actually the least important part of the entire equation. And interestingly, it's, it's um, I observe that, that, I mean, I may be wrong, but I, th I, th I think that's the case that mostly families and, and individuals actually are of wealth. So we have a level of wealth, high net worth individuals, ultra high net worth individuals and families. They are the ones who are actually interested in those topics. Whereas, uh, well, if you call it more normal people, they, te <laughs> they tend to kind of ignore that completely. But the the, the the families and people who who are interested in those topics or who um, have a vague interest maybe initially only because they know they have some wealth that they need to transfer they they will very much focus on the financial bit of the equation but actually if you think about it that is indeed the least important bit because really everybody regardless of their level of wealth should and could think about those things I agree I, I, I agree 100% and and it's 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 an inversion. The people that have the least probably should be spending more time thinking about how do we maximize the effect of what we do have. Um, yeah. And 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 interestingly enough, the planning, the planners that work with them, um, great technical skills. They know how to build a will. They know how to build a you know build a trust, uh, uh, whatever the structure is, the corporate structure to to, to do it. Um, they lead with their strength. And so that lack of conversation around, as you've described, the more important elements gets perpetuated into the planning. Um, and it's, it's, it's in certain situations, um, you know, my observation is purely anecdotal, but as I used to do some litigation, it was often the people, you know, it wasn't that it wasn't the $50 million estates that were landing in court they, mm. they had enough money they could resolve that. The, you, mm -hmm. know, the, the, you could negotiate that. 
it was the people with $500,000 and -hmm. three litigants going to court, fighting like crazy, and then handing over half of it as fees to the professionals helping them litigate. It really became more settling scores than it did about the money. Um, And I think that, you know, if you dial that even deeper, that I described earlier, how we really don't teach here very well, um, uh, what what money is, what you can do with money, what financial planning is all about. Yeah. I think wealth often gets weaponized uh, in those situations because they don't understand yeah. what they could do that's good with it. So yeah. there is a certain irony to to, yeah. to how that all works. So. Yeah, it's it, it that that's quite an interesting aspect, and I think that's uh, again that's true worldwide that that uh, money management and and indeed money mindsets. Are not uh, are not really taught at at school or university level uh, at all uh, or hardly at all. And interestingly, I had I think it was the, uh, the the second interview that that we published that was on on money mindsets and it, it, yeah. it's basically exactly about that. And it's it's something that should be done. Uh, I, I think at high school level. I agree. Uh, oh yeah, it's often not the case. Now, um, Chris, I, th- I think you know. When when I think about um, wealth transitions and and the uh, advisors that 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 come along with that, who as you said, you know, often have very good technical skills, but but often I I find that they they lack a level of credibility, and that that is uh, in the very nature of the process because nobody really has first hand experience in multi generational wealth transfers, you know, because people die eventually, so. You know, I, I, I think the best that you can do is, is uh, well, firstly, work on, on the basis of assumptions. But then, of course, uh, it helps to uh, see as many wealth transitions as possible uh, from one generation to the next. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, given your, your CV and your experience, you've obviously seen a number of them. Um, so you, you're probably quite well positioned to to see and observe what actually works or and, and what doesn't. So is, yeah. is there? Um, I mean, can you coming back to the shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations proverb? Is there are there sort of can can you pinpoint say three common most common mistakes that that people make in transitioning their wealth? Sure. Um, The starting point is it's going to be hard work. So uh, doing in, doing purposeful intergenerational wealth transition, that is starting off with a goal and, and an endpoint in mind uh, that is a dynamic endpoint, is going to take some effort. Mm-hmm. And so clients, people going through this process, are going to have to appreciate that they're not going to get to this point doing a $399 online will, or, you know, or they're not, they're just not going to get what they really need. So they have to understand that it's going to take some time yeah. and some treasure mm-hmm. uh, to get, to get this kind of an outcome. So uh, to get a successful sort of pan generational outcome. Um, so one thing is just appreciating that, uh, you know, a lot of the, when I do presentations, I get people throwing up their hands when I ask about what estate planning is, what good estate planning is. And they say, oh, efficient, uh, quick, uh, you know, cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that actually is the wrong answer. And we will often spring off of that in the presentation. That That is the, the opposite of what it's going to be. So one is it's going to take some effort and it's, it's, and that's hard for people to do. They're talking about, you know, and I'm totally sympathetic. They're talking about their own deaths here. And, and so advisors have to be able to sympathize a little bit more and say, you know, this is, this is emotional for these people. I had a, I had a client when she was 92 or 93 and she was sobbing, talking about her own death, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's funny because at the time I was in my forties and I found it odd, you know, I thought, okay, if a 30 year old is doing that, I get that. Uh, uh, but a 92 year old, you know, you've lived your life. It's, you've had a, this great run, so to speak. And, and you should be more thankful than, than sad, but she was very sad. And then I, so I started thinking, okay, I've got this all wrong. I got to start thinking about that. And advisors have to do that too. They have to understand the sensitivities of their clients. So the hard work is on, both sides of the equation. Um, there's no quick will. There's no quick conversation. It takes effort. Um, another thing that it so, has so, to so the mistake is, would you say, is is not realizing that it will be hard work. Yes, yes, yeah. and not being prepared to make that commitment and invest into it. Which yeah. and I sort of started off by saying that they should become an advocate for their own planning, not mm-hmm. being prepared to do that either. Um, there's a, an awful lot of deference sometimes to mm-hmm. advisors, rightly so. Uh, the, if the advisor says this, it must be right. Um, and, and technically, that's almost certainly true. Uh, but it might not be right for the client. And yeah. so the clients have to be prepared to dig in their heels and say, you know, can you walk me through how this is going to work in the dynamics of our family? And my hunch is they probably haven't had that conversation. So that extra level of work, everybody's going to have to do. If they really want to do this. Yeah. Um, another, I think you've also got to appreciate that it is a dynamic process. So mm-hmm. um, intergenerational wealth planning, particularly if there's a family business involved, um, whether it's a, passive asset like an investment uh, you know real estate or investment holding company or an active business that's moving from one generation to the next this is a dynamic process and you're going to have uh we often use what's called the three circle model uh, when we're working with family businesses so you've got a dimension of the family itself and who's going to be included in there are you including common law partners are you including only married partners are you including them at all uh is it only family that is of uh, you know, one one uh, uh, one level out, or are you going two or three levels? How do you define family? That takes time. That yeah. takes effort, and it's it's a moving target. We also have the ownership circle. So you you know, what does it mean to be an owner of the business? And then you've got family members that are involved in the business uh, as managers. And when you put those three circles together in a Venn diagram, you know, you're you're going to get overlays where some people occupy multiple circles inside mm-hmm. there, so they have multiple. Uh, response uh, uh, triggers, if you will, multiple ways of receiving information and perceptions. Um, So you have to, as a planner, and you have to, as a client, understand that that intergenerational wealth planning is fundamentally uh, uh, a dynamic process. It's qualitative in nature and that it's not quantitative in nature. Um, I think that may also be part of the reason why people tend to focus on the finance aspect of it, because that's obviously quantifiable. There's an answer. Yeah, there's an answer. And the answer isn't maybe. (laughs) When you're asking a tax question, there's an answer. Uh, and, And if you're asking whether I can cut my children out of the will or leave 
one child this and the other child this, there's an answer. Yeah. But for all the other things, and that goes back to that first issue, you know, there's some hard work that's got to go into that. The hard work is often understanding the, the, the dynamics. Um, I think a third thing, and there, there's quite a few things here, but I think a, a third thing that, that um, uh, families need to appreciate is that they really need to seek out advisors that are going to be on the same page, if you will, with mm-hmm. them. So we go back to something you said, um, and, and I wanted to circle back to it. You know, uh, uh, in my book, I describe a, there's a this, this central character um, has a, a group of, he's 64, I think, in the book, uh, starting to talk about his wealth transition. Um, his advisors are 64 and 63. These are people that he went to college with and came out into the business world at the same time with. And, mm-hmm. and they're in the same spot he is in. And they have different, one of them responds very similarly to him. Another one uh, is responding in sort of a 180, uh, 180 degree uh, uh, difference. Um, uh, and, and he's struggling with that. He's struggling yeah. with how do I, how do I balance these uh, issues? And so having um, a team around you that really is going to give you all of those perceptions is also critically important as well. I don't just mean the technical skill sets, but you know, a multidimensional team because it's got somebody from a millennial standpoint who's giving you advice on a legal. uh, So that would be for a particularly high net worth family, right? But those are large resources. But um, I think, Clients have to understand what they want from their advisors has probably changed as well. They need broader and deeper skills. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I'll, I'll talk, because I'm a lawyer, I'll talk about lawyers. I think that that legal knowledge is really the table stakes now. And it's all of the other abilities to understand communication, the dynamics, the, yeah. the uh, that is going to become the differentiator. And we're, I, I think we're starting to see that a little bit here in the, uh, in, in this space. So there's a lot of designations that are starting to come up, a lot of training that's starting to come up uh, that advisors are taking that is based more on behavior, decision-making biases, all the sort of human things. Yeah. Um, and I think that you might have an opinion on this, but I think that's in part because technology is changing. Uh, for example, in the investment world, alg- predictive, uh, predictive tech, uh, predictive technology and algorithmic investing is changing what it is that advisors are doing, uh, investment mm-hmm. advisors, for example, mm-hmm. and for them to show value uh, for the fees that they charge, they need to look at uh, different different ways to spend their time helping their clients manage their wealth. And, um, uh, and they're seeking out the designations and the training and the experiences that will allow them to do that. Clients need to understand that somebody who's going to help them with estate planning isn't necessarily just somebody who's a lawyer. It's somebody yeah. who's maybe, so for example, I just to pick on myself, I have a step does I'm a TEP. Uh, I have a, uh, I'm a member of step worldwide. Um, maybe you look for a designation like that. You know, maybe I am a family enterprise advisor. Maybe you look for a designation like that. And there's quite an alphabet soup of designations out there, but I think an informed client can choose a better multidisciplinary advisory team if they're looking for those things. So I've done some uh, seminars at uh, business conference, business family conferences, I should say, where that actually is what we did for an hour. We, we broke down what they wanted from their planning. We would take 
What, what do you want from your planning? Now that you know what you want from your planning, what are the questions you're going to ask your advisor when you go to speak with them? So if you're 65 and you're going to talk to your 65-year-old accountant, what are the questions you want answered? And if you don't get the answers, what are you prepared to do yeah. uh, to, to, to deal with that? And, you know, it gets uncomfortable, right? Yeah. It, it, yeah, it does change. Yeah. And yeah. Nobody loves yeah. change. So those are three sort of things. I think building the right team would be the quick summary <laughs> of that last uh, that last one and the right team might not necessarily just be what's required technically. It may be the uh, personal characteristics and the learning characteristics that the members of that team are bringing to that, uh, bringing to that pot. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically the, the, the antidote to the question, you know, what are the main problems is is basically doing exactly that. So putting together the right team, uh, realizing it's a dynamic process and appreciating that. And, and, and also um, that it's going to take some effort and time and being prepared to invest in that. And I suppose the the follow on from that is start as early as possible because it's, it's going to take time and effort. It is. And, and to add to that, and I think, you know, your, your listeners will pick up on this. You got to, you got to have a different mindset. You talked about the mindsets, uh, the, the different mindsets you've got. You can't have a short term mindset. So I often refer to it as an entropic mindset. I'm going to die entropy, you know, the wealth mm-hmm. is spin out into wherever it goes. Um, we really need to change that and think yeah. of it, you know, a hundred years out. How do we, how do we preserve this wealth? So that it's still there, all the sources of the family wealth are still there voluntarily. Everyone's choosing to do this a um, hundred years from now. And that's a different mindset because you've yes. got to grow it. Yeah. You, you have to grow it yeah. um, to make that happen. I, th- I, th- so, I think that's, a, that, that's some, some, some good advice, you know, basically adopt a hundred year mindset because that changes your perspective completely. It does, doesn't it? Take the long view. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, I, I, there's a, a writer, a French economist, uh, uh, Thomas Piketty, wrote a, a book, uh, Wealth in the, in the 21st Century, and he's got an entire chapter. It's a, it's a pure economics uh, textbook, and, mm-hmm. and um, he's got one chapter on estate planning, he, which is really interesting. I found that very interesting. He's been on the New York, New York Times, was on the New York Times bestselling list for almost two years. Um, and and uh, he's quite a character, but he he talks about how he thinks we're heading into a new gilded age uh and one of the outcomes of that in a in a low inflationary environment where you really don't have a lot of real wage growth at least not here anyways um is that financial wealth accumulation and preservation is going to become more and more important to families because the stream of income the passive income that can be generated off of that is going to be more critical Mm. uh, to manage lifestyle expectations, but also just to exist. And, yeah. and so for families with some wealth, there's some good reasons to, to, to do this uh, uh, with a long-term view. It's to, yeah. it's to create income streams that will give the family <laughs> the opportunities they want them to have. Yeah. Chris, I want to ask you about your book again. I mean, the, the, yeah. the, 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 the title struck me, The Naked Opus. Can you tell me how, how you came up with that title and, and, and what it's, well, what the logic behind it is? Well, I, I like to think I have a pretty good sense of humor. So it was intended to be a little bit cheeky, obviously. Um, you get a lot of hits on on uh, Twitter from that. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> hi, naked. <laughs> that. I know it's not anybody I know when I get that uh, direct message. Um, 
in the book, there's the, what the, the, the main character comes to, um, and then the main character, there are two, but the, the central character is, is really an advisor like myself. Someone who's working with clients is got this unsettled feeling that although he's doing a good job, there's more that could be done to really be great and, and, and really offer value to his clients that's different and unique. Um, and and it, it's percolating and percolating. And by the end of the book, what he realizes is that for families to be successful with this and for advisors to be successful with, with intergenerational wealth planning, they really have to be prepared to, to get down to the nitty gritty uh, of what it is that's important to them. They need to start with why in their planning. They need to take off the, the, um, the, 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 the clothing or the, the cover mm-hmm. Uh, the pretenses that they have as a family um, and, and really get naked about what it is that, that they want to achieve. And I, and I, I usually distill that down to here are the things that have to happen, but here are the things that must not happen as well. And those questions, it's, it's, it's not, that second set of questions is often not addressed. So that's where the naked part of it comes from. It says we got to communicate. We have to have, procedures so that we can communicate like it's it's really easy so uh our family's encountering that you know when it was just my wife and i uh the golden rule applied whoever had the gold made the rules right so it's really simple as the children now are smarter than we are and and uh starting to you know they add tremendous value to the conversations we have to have an ability to adapt to having more people involved in in our communications and how do we deal with that so that requires us to really understand where everyone's coming from on an individuated basis um the oldest part of it is can be simplified really down to um I, I view estate planning, so just to, or business transition planning, as a process rather than an event. Yeah. And it's a yeah. process to kind of go back to something you said, start early. It's something you should be doing as soon as it makes sense uh, legally, say, uh, to start doing it. You should be doing it and thinking about it all the time. And the greatest story you'll ever tell, the, your life's work really the opus of, of, of the efforts of your uh, learning and, and efforts in life really is going to be encapsulated in, in how you transition your wealth to the ones you care about, whether it's family and charity or family and charity, um, doesn't matter. But it's, it's a story that you're telling and it's your greatest, it's your greatest work. So I just put the two together yeah. and, and said that this is a, this is a story that we have to be prepared to, to, uh, get naked on and, and reveal what's really important to us as advisors. We have to be prepared to go into the dirty places, ask the fierce questions, really dig down with the clients. So we have to do it too. Uh, and we have to appreciate that it is a, it is a, a process rather than an event. And so a will, for example, is the end point of a journey for people. That's not going to stop. Or it's a, sorry, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a pivot point it's an inflection point yeah. um that's going to change and that's a story that just keeps getting greater and greater as new people come into the family and new new goals and desires start to come in yeah so that's where that came from yeah yeah i, th- I think it's, it's it's a great title it's a great title and um, now in, in in your book i i noticed that you have two chapters where you talk about purpose i mean there's a chapter called purpose and then there's chapter i think seven where you talk about purposeful wealth. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit on, well, firstly, why is purpose so important? And, and, and secondly, where's the difference between the two 
purpose in its own in on its own in in chapter two and purposeful wealth in chapter seven um so purpose itself i think is is really uh a pivot for clients instead of thinking about um uh, transitioning their financial wealth as uh an unfortunate side effect from their demise um they should be looking at it as a way to achieve uh the goals that they have in their life and that if they focus on that if they focus on those goals um the planning will actually be more successful so purpose really com- comes down to why why is it why do you get up in the morning and go do the work that you do i mean uh, so i've been working since graduation, since I was 28. So for 30 years, I get up in the morning and go to work and spend a third of the day away from my family. Why yeah. do I do that? What, why is that so important? Is it to make money? Yes. But what is it that that money does? And what a lot of clients don't do is really ask themselves what it is that the money gives them and, yeah. and, and what can they do with that? And, and when you dig down, you you know, you find the values that you find what it is that the fears that are motivating them, mm. that actually can become a launching point for the planning. So instead of saying, I, uh, the, the, the example I often give is, um, you know, uh, uh, I have a little uh, conversation uh, that I put up uh, sometimes on the PowerPoint and it will be an interaction with a client and, and, and pretend interaction, but it could, I've probably seen it a thousand times where you say, okay, uh, what's important to you? And you say, well, I want to minimize my taxes. Well, who does? Right? Everybody. Like that, that's, that's not your purpose. And you just keep asking why five times. You dig down and you will eventually, six times, I, I've, I have never, as far as I can recall, had to get past five. You get down to the fifth why and where you're at usually is with they love their children or they love their, their philanthropy and they want to make sure it has every opportunity to succeed in the future. That is the purpose of their planning. Mm -hmm. So then you start to work backwards, and this is where the purposeful planning works up. Every step I take in my planning has to work towards that purpose, and it becomes strategy. So um, anything that veers off of that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. you don't do it, but you need to address what it's giving you that's more important than what you originally wanted out of it. Um, And I have found in working particularly with some wealthy families on that, but that it becomes their North star. It helps them stay the course during difficult, uh, difficult times. Um, oftentimes, for example, uh, uh, the breakdown of a marriage in the second generation is, I mean, that's, you know, three circle business model for a family business that sends wa- little waves that become tsunamis on other shores inside that, right. that dynamic structure. Um, if they stay with their purpose in their planning, they don't react too negatively, too rashly mm-hmm. uh, to, to that change. So it also helps with decision-making. If you yeah. understand your purpose, you make better decisions. And then, so some of the presentations that I do in the book I've got coming up, I really deal with uh, biases and heuristics and how we're really very emotional. We like to think we're rational decision-makers, but yeah. particularly in this, we're not. We're, we're emotional, no. right? We're, yeah. we're, we're we're lizards. We, our lizard brain takes over and, and we, we respond emotionally. We get angry and then we're fearful. And that's, that's what motivates or causes procrastination in most of our planning. So if we stay with purpose, for example, with procrastination, 
as an advisor, I can turn to the client and say, you, know, you told me you love your kids. You told me you want the, the, the efforts that you've made in your life to be sources of growth for them and sources of opportunity. Can you tell me how not doing this promotes that purpose? Yeah. And it starts to help them keep going forward yeah. uh, in a legitimate way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I try to link per, finding the purpose in your life and the planning at the end of the day. And that's where the purposeful, purposeful planning comes from as well. So, yeah. um, and, and it's it, not, as you've said, it's not to save taxes. That's a happy outcome from other purposes that, uh, you know, now that we know this is the purpose, let's do it in a way that minimizes tax. And that's, for example, uh, or achieves privacy or efficiency, whatever. But those are technical yeah. desires. Yeah. Um, and then purpose- and- and then purposeful wealth is is basically uh, taking the financial aspect and and organizing that in a way that it actually serves the purpose rather than yes. yeah the yeah, other way absolutely. around yeah that's great and then and then the family begins to organize around that wealth uh, yeah. and and the purpose may change you know the second generation may view their purpose for that wealth a little differently but what the first generation in in concert with the second and maybe the third generation have done is built a framework of, of governance, if you will, yeah. that allows them to communicate and preserve those sources of wealth yeah. to achieve those evolving purposes. So it's not a static thing. It's not intended to be a static. I, th- I think that's also important to realize that, that, that it's not, if you do something like that, it's not cast in stone forever and it, you have to allow it to evolve over time and particularly across generations because you know priorities change and 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 all sorts of things change over time so you have oh. to allow for it to be flexible uh one of the examples i like to give uh, you, you're describing a thing called homeostasis uh and, and sort of our our bodies exist in that uh our bodies are constantly trying to keep us uh, at a, uh, our temperature at a certain regulated level right yeah um that's why we give our babies thermometers to see if they're sick um and and so if you think of a house with a furnace uh if if i set it at 72 degrees or you know 20 fahrenheit or 20 celsius uh let's say i set the temperature there but then in the middle of winter i go around and open up all the windows that furnace is it's stupid like it doesn't know it's just a machine it's just going to work harder and harder and harder and burn off all of its energy trying to achieve 72 degrees. Um, and, and families sometimes have communication models that are similarly stunted. They don't know how to deal with uh, these changes like windows being open and they just burn energy just yeah. trying to stay in the same place. If we can fight that, if we can accept that change is going to come, uh, then, you know, somebody goes around and shuts the windows. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but someone has to have permission to do that, right? Yeah. And, and so that's, it's, it's good that you, you summarize it that way because that, see it in business families in particular. Um, they have old lines of communication and decision-making mm. and, and they haven't evolved for the new realities of the multidimensional uh, uh, reality of the family. Yeah, so, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm, I'm conscious of your time. Uh, so, you know, I, I think we need to slowly get to a close, although I've got many more questions that I can ask. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, st- let's stay with your book for a, for a, for a last question. Uh, what are the two to three key takeaways that, that people can take away from, from reading your book? 
Oh, okay. Um, well, on, so on a general level, um, the book is not intended to be prescriptive. I've, yeah. So I've observed, over, I've had the, the great good fortune of observing some real masters at work in this space. And what I've tried to do out of that is distill some commonalities. Uh, and so it's not intended to be prescriptive. It's a, it's a way to look at the planning. Um, so at a high level, that, that is, uh, that, that is uh, one thing. Um, one, so one, start from values. Start your planning by understanding your values and the values of the people that you are planning for. Mm-hmm. And, and use somebody that can help you go through that process of understanding your values. So a facilitator, uh, if you've got a, a lawyer or an accountant who's got some training or, or mm-hmm. a comfort or experience in that space or an advisor, some other advisor, somebody who can take you through that so that as a client, you know, if you're talking with your kids at the table, you can wear your mom hat or you can wear your dad hat and the people at the table know that when you're saying something, you are mom or you are dad. You're not saying it as owner of the business, controller of the assets, uh, manager, and you know, whatever the other hats are that you wear in relation to that. So set boundaries in the planning. That would be one thing for sure. Start with values, set boundaries in the planning. And I introduce in the, there's really, I guess, four things I'd want to say here. The, the, understand that it's a process and that it should be a strategic process. And understanding your values allows you to um, begin at a point of purpose and why mm-hmm. and build a process that allows you to check back in as you're making the decision and over time with the decisions that you've made to make sure that that's still in line with those values. Yeah. So you process, understanding yeah. that this is a process. And in the book, I described the, uh, an abundant estate model. That's the fourth step, uh, or sorry, the, the five steps are the, the abundant estate. I, I refer to a smart strategic process. That's mm-hmm. really just set goals, have objectives for, for those goals, have um, strategies that will help you achieve those. And then understand that tactics come at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'm really there, you know, if you want to distill that down again, is don't get the, the cart in front of the horse when you're doing your planning. We used to get clients I, here in Canada. We have a probate tax here in Ontario. It's by province. It's about 1.5%. So somebody with $30 million of, uh, $30 million of assets, for example, um, um, sorry, let's just make it $3 million. They're really looking at about 45000 Canadian dollars of probate fee here in Ontario. Mm-hmm. To avoid that, they sometimes will make things jointly owned, which creates all kinds of family and other big tax disposition issues that far and away exceed the cost of that small, small probate tax. So if they understand their purpose, they also yeah. lose planning options. So if they understand the purpose of their planning, they don't get caught up in putting the tactics first. And then the last thing I think, and this is as an advisor, this is this is something I work hard on my presentations to to overcome. Um, build a team that will help you get where you need to go, it, and be prepared to change an advisor if that advisor, or add to the advisor circle if you don't think that they can get you where you need to go. So you know. Um, you have to be st- strategic about the transition there too. Maybe if you're 65 and your lawyer's 65, maybe you need a 40 year old lawyer 
and, mm-hmm. and uh, somebody who's who has these other skills that you want as well. So uh, be prepared to make difficult decisions uh, as well, because um, at the end of the day, you're trying to achieve an intergenerational purpose here. Um, and that's really what's important. So you want to have the right tools as well. To yeah. That includes the people that you're working yeah. with. Okay, good. Yeah. Now, in terms of creating true wealth for yourself uh, via financial wealth, impact, succession, and, and all the things that we talked about, yeah. where are you today, personally? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, our kids are amazing. So I think we, we've always prioritized our children. And, and uh, um, so anything, our purpose was always our children. And and uh, and uh, so I am very proud of what they've accomplished and where they're headed. There, they each will make the world in their own way. They each will make the world a little bit better. Uh, so I'm very proud of of that. So our family wealth that's been great. Um, that came with sacrifices, right? I mean, uh, there, there were things I worked from our home for a few years as a lawyer in order mm-hmm. to be with the kids. So uh, we just made a commitment that we would always be with our children. So one or the other of us was, they, they, they never had nannies. Not that I, I have nothing against that. But that was a choice we, we made and we wanted to yeah. be with them. That came with a price, right? Uh, uh, so I wasn't in the big firms uh, do, doing, doing this work. Mm-hmm. I'm really thrilled about what, I will never regret those decisions. Um, I'm also now, and I joked about the background here, it's this picture of Hawaii. Uh, my long-term goal, and it, it looks like that's kind of a, you know, sort of a, what would you say, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That's a, uh, uh, seems like a very uh, uh, shallow sort of uh, uh, desire. But what I'm really hoping to achieve, and I'm, I'm very close, uh, is the freedom to write and the freedom to do what I really, really love, which is this mm-hmm. kind of work. Spread the, spread the knowledge around. Um, I want that freedom. And I had to do certain things. And that came at a price, too, in order to achieve that freedom. But achieving that freedom has meant that the, 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 the very network that I was getting out of is bringing me back in again because they know that that's the conversations their clients want to have. Yeah. So I had to be courageous about, uh, uh, in, earlier in this interview, you talked about um, significant moves from yeah. career pivots from one direction to another. Uh, I'm very fortunate. I have a spouse who, who willing to go along with that. Cause she does that in her world too. Um, uh, I think I'm right where I need to be. Uh, and, and, and so I'm really happy about that. Um, and I think we're on the crest of a demographic wave of wealth that's transitioning that wants to have these conversations. And so I, I'm feeling very happy about where, where I am there. We have, we talk about everything. So when I talk about communication, there's a little bit of, you know, physician heal thyself here. We have those conversations with our kids. I've talked to my kids about, you know, what, what saving money is, what, what the purpose of money is and, and, um, what should be driving their happiness and their decision making, and so far, uh, I, I'm, I'm happy with what I'm with what I'm seeing. So you um, basically walk the talk. I tried to, yeah, huh. yeah. I tried hard. I mean, that's good. You know, would it be? Uh, uh, do I have to get up and work? I do, but that's okay. I read a stat yesterday. Um, some conference in uh, France right now. Have you ever heard of Peter Diamitis? Uh, no. Diamitis? He wrote a book called um, Abundance. Uh, yeah. Oh yes, really yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 
he's got an interesting podcast and, and, uh, anyways, he, somebody was uh, live tweeting his presentation and he said that the stats show, and this is anecdotally something I've experienced too. Um, when you retire, if you, if you're not doing anything else, you can't golf all day. Uh, when you retire, most people die. Most men die five years from their yeah. retirement. Yeah. Right. And so there are now actually numbers that confirm what I thought I was seeing. So, I hope that the you know as a lawyer, as an educator, as an author and a speaker, where I am in my career cycle, uh, interestingly enough, I think I'm maybe going to be more relevant as I get older than that. <laughs> <laughs> which is unusual, right? When you're in the tech area, I think you peak at 22 or something according to the numbers I've read. But in this space, I think where we're adding value to our clients yeah. and educating i think we, we can just keep going which is kind of a takeaway too right I, mm. certainly in family businesses that first generation a lot of the reasons sometimes they don't let go is because they don't want to be irrelevant yeah they don't want, absolutely they don't want to die in, in, in a philosophical or practical yeah. sense yeah and, and they okay. don't have to um so i i feel i'm in a good spot <laughs> that, that's that's good to hear that's good to hear now what do you want to be remembered for or in other words you know where do you still want to go Well, um, I've got... Apart from more. Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> Hawaii is a metaphor for anywhere that has yeah. palm trees. <laughs> um, if you haven't been, it's an amazing place. But it's a metaphor for anywhere it's not snowing. Um, so uh, I've got a second book I'm working on right now. It's going to be a little bit more of a retail level book, uh, so to speak. So it's for anyone who should be doing a will. And it's 20 mistakes that every every person makes. Um, and uh, so I'm, that should be out in the spring of 2020. I have a third book that I'm working on that is uh, a family business succession book. The goal really is to have three three topics on the shelf that are germane to uh, to, to the space that I've I've worked in, and to be doing presentations on that, um, mm. and and helping to educate people on how to view their wealth in a long term way, why it's good to do that, and why it's worth it uh, yeah. at the end of the day, yeah. and why it's going to be hard to do. You know, they, they got to want it. And, and if you don't want it, that's fine. But but if you do want it, here's how to do it. Mm -hmm. And so um, if I can help some people avoid court, if I can help some people uh, have happier family transitions for their total family wealth, that would be the legacy I'd like to, to have. And I've got two kids that are going to, in their own way, make the world a nicer place. Yeah. So <laughs> good, good. That Very good. Going. Now, is there, is there anything that, that is missing or anything that, that would or could be really helpful for you at this stage uh, uh, to, to get there um, or any particular kind of support that you could uh, uh, do with? I'm just asking because somebody might listen to our podcast and say, yeah, I can help you. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, yeah. I mean, I post, uh, Uh, into a couple of Facebook groups uh, that are, there's lots of estate planning Facebook groups and, uh, and on LinkedIn, I'm pretty active. I think that's how we connected was on LinkedIn. Yes. I'm very active yeah. on LinkedIn as well. Um, I, I actually write a lot in there and I'm often at the end posting questions. You know, what's your experience been on this? And I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to understand if, if what I saw is what yeah. I I saw. And, and so if people are, you know, particularly anecdotes about, uh, from professionals, uh, mm -hmm. or even clients, um, where there's a fear that they had, 
or there is um, an experience. That, so let me give you an example. These are the kinds of experience. Uh, I was doing a presentation in a farm community here about a year ago, and I had a, a farmer come up to me and say, you know, I, I went to my lawyer uh, and I asked her, um, uh, told her I had to do some estate planning and asked her what I needed to do. And she looked at me and said, well, what do you want to do? And he goes, well, I don't know. That's why I'm talking to you. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and she said, well, when you know what you want, come to me and, and I, will, uh, I, I will help you build this. Okay. And he was a perfect example because this was somebody who, who <laughs> he didn't know what he wanted. <laughs> and and there's, like, that's a rich conversation to have. So yeah. if there's people out there that you know, want to reach back and say, yeah, you know, I've encountered that, mm. finding solutions, finding ways to um, allow the advisor to say, you know what, uh, this, is not, this is not my strength. This area is not my strength, yeah. but uh, I know somebody who's helped me. Uh, yeah. and, and it doesn't have to be a specific individual, but you know, was it a mediator? Was it a family business consultant? Was yeah. it a, well, somebody with a particular type of training or designation? So mm -hmm. it would be great to hear stories like that as well, because really yeah. that's how we communicate best with our clients uh, and, and our listeners is through stories. They, yeah. Then they're able to, to uh, frame it into their own, um, uh, their, their, their own life module and, and draw conclusions yeah, from it. Yeah. So yeah, that it would be great to hear what others have experienced and, and whether they feel that starting from why and starting with purpose is, is effective. I, I know there are situations where it won't work and, and that's, that's fine. Maybe share examples where that has happened too, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. uh, you know, the last thing I'd want to do is, is have someone think that, this is the kind of planning that is absolutely for everybody. Yeah. It is. You, you, you've got to want it. You've got to be prepared to commit to it. And what's happening inside the family, inside the business also has to, to support the success of it as well. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's different entry points for this. So, so if people have stories to share, where can they find you? Oh, sure. Um, well, they can find me on LinkedIn or they can find me on Twitter. So on Twitter, I'm at uh, FEA Advisor. So F-E-A, F-E Advisor, A-D-V-I-S-O-R. Uh, I also have a, another uh, Twitter account that's at, at the estate lawyer. They can mm -hmm. uh, go there or they can go to the Twitter account that is at Naked Opus, which is the book, uh, the book t uh, tweeting site. I'm on LinkedIn as well, so we can connect on LinkedIn and direct message me there or they can email me at chris at nakedopus.com mm -hmm. okay and i'd be happy to get that we'll yeah. put those details in the show notes too um so sure i have to write it down um now as a very last question and i think then then we'll really uh, have to have to um to, uh, finish the interview just because i'm sure. so conscious about your time <laughs> very last question if there was one thing, and I mean one thing only, that you could change about our society, our planet, the world we live in, what would that be? Hmm. Wow, that's a big question. Um, we have to communicate better. We, we have okay. to be prepared to accept change and communicate that change in a way that allows good things to come from it rather than negative things. Uh -huh. um, I'm trying to think of something, negative things are going to happen. I'm trying to minimize and build bumpers around those negative things. Yeah. Um, I think we've got to stop and listen to one another. I mean, really communication is the, 
sort of the, the spine, the better communication, sort of the spine of everything I've just talked about. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's no point having family meetings if <laughs> nobody is prepared to listen to, to what anybody says and, and, and really want to, to, to deal with it. So I think we have to be not afraid of change uh, and be prepared to invest in enhanced communication. So I, I think I might've said two things there. You said you wanted just one thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I think we have to make an effort to enhance, to understand just how important communication is and, yeah. and, um, and spend time making that work better for us. Yeah. That's a great point. Thank you for that. Uh, sure. Now, Chris, thank you very much for uh, for being here with us, and uh, I, I think it's incredible that the 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 work that you do in the field and the experience that that you you bring with you, um, and I think others can really benefit from that. And uh, I can only suggest to uh, read your book and, of course, the follow up books too. Um, thank you. It was very enlightening and inspiring to talk to you, and I actually. I made some notes while we, while we were talking and, and maybe we can actually continue that conversation and, and delve a bit deeper into uh, some specific points. I mean, we, we, we hardly touched on, on, on your model for, for wealth transfer and I would really uh, like to go deeper into that, but maybe we can have a follow-up conversation at some point. Anytime. Um, yeah. I think there's plenty more that we could talk about. Um, anyway, thank you again for, for being on the show. Um, and uh, I hope to speak to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Sasha. I really appreciated being here. Your questions were thoughtful, and, and uh, that last one uh, caught me off guard a little bit. But <laughs> I hope I gave a. <laughs> it makes you think, though, right? That's what it does. Yeah, that's, it's meant to do that, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I probably could have come up with something better if I'd really been able to think about it. But when we when we respond spontaneously like that, I think yeah. we find the answers that are really at the tip of our yeah, tongue. Exactly. And so yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate you doing that as well. Yeah. And thank you for setting this up. Uh, I think this is an important conversation. Um, and I think it's an increasingly important conversation. It's going to be demographically the, for, mm -hmm. for people listening, for your listeners, this is what millennials enjoy talking about, whether you're an advisor or a parent, grandparent, this is this is a great platform to have meaningful conversations with the yeah. people you care about. So you're doing a great service for for your listeners as well by right. by having these podcasts. So thank you for that too. And uh, all right, well, all that's <laughs> left to say is uh, take care and goodbye. Okay, all right, take care, Sasha. Thank Bye. you very much. Bye bye now. I hope you like this episode. Please do not forget to subscribe and rate the True Wealth Project podcast on iTunes as it helps others to find us too. If you want to contact me with comments or guest suggestions, please go to jansenco.com slash podcast. That's jansenco, J-A-N-Z-E-N-C-O dot com slash podcast. I'm looking forward to hear from you. See you soon. Bye.